0: Well, again, it's so good to be with you all here this morning, so excited to see a full room that we get to worship together and just thankful for this time that God has given us. So let's take some time right now and again go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now. We're grateful for this time that you've given us and we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Would you reveal yourself to us as you have in this letter that we are about to read? Would you give us your truth, your peace, and your comfort today? Amen. Well, I don't know about you all, but every once in a while, I find myself feeling a little bit nostalgic, of of wanting to look back at a certain point in my life. Do you ever feel this way, where where maybe you find yourself looking through old pictures, or maybe even old yearbooks, or for those of us that are more tech-savvy, maybe even old posts online? I used to have this app called Timehop. Anybody ever have Timehop? Um, if you haven't heard of it, basically you can look at it and you see all of your old social media posts on that day from previous years. And so it's kind of just like looking at a time capsule of your life online. And I had it for a while, but had to end up deleting it because I was really tired of seeing all of my cringy Facebook posts from when I was in high school. It was like Joe Scavato wants pizza. It's like who cares, Joe. Um, A while back, though, Judy and I were looking through some of our old stuff, and and we happened upon some of the things that we had given to each other throughout our relationship, things like letters and gifts. And and to give you an idea of who is the better gift giver in our relationship, um, on my 24th birthday, Judy got me 24 presents that she gave to me every hour on the hour. (laughs) For our last anniversary, I think I gave her cash. I was like, I don't know. You, You know what you want. I don't know. It was so fun, though, just to kind of look back at this stuff, to look at the, the letters that we had written to each other from when we were dating and living in different states, doing the whole long-distance thing, and to look back at that time and, and just think about all that was ahead of us. I wonder if you're like me in this way, where, where a memory or a letter or a gift from, from someone in your life, from a loved one, whether it's a spouse or a friend or a family member, is something that you just absolutely prize and cherish. Because not only does it remind me of that time, and not only does it remind me of that person, but I'm reminded that this person that I care about took the time to think of me, to write something down, to give me something to hold on to. It must be significant. Today we are resuming our series on the first three chapters of Revelation, and we'll be getting into the very reason this series is called Seven. So far, we've been looking at the first chapter of this book about how to read Revelation and how we can explore how Jesus has revealed himself to us, but starting today and continuing over the next seven weeks, we'll be looking at seven letters from Jesus written to seven churches in the first century, but also to us and to the church around the world. We've talked about this, that in Revelation, numbers are often more about meaning than they are about measuring, and seven, being this number of wholeness, means that Jesus is writing to the whole church. In other words, in his perfect knowledge, Jesus had you and me in mind when he wrote these words. And just like it is when someone writes us a letter or gives us a gift, if Jesus had us in mind when he gave these words to John to write down and send out, then they must be significant too. I believe that the words that we're going to be reading today and throughout the rest of this summer are just as impactful, just as relevant to our lives as they were for the original churches that they were written to. So today, we're going to start off with the first letter written to the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a a major city in the Roman Empire. It was known for its importance in economics and in culture and in worship of the Roman emperor, often leading to tension for these Ephesian Christians. It was famous for the massive temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the world, a center for idol worship and, and all sorts of things. In Acts, we see that the Apostle Paul spent three years with the church in Ephesus, teaching them the ways of Christ and raising up leaders, and it's to these people that Jesus says these words. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. "'To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance.' Unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So in these letters, we're going to see kind of a similar structure play out in, in almost all seven of these letters to the churches. We're going to see a commendation. A correction, and a charge. So we're going to start with the commendation. Um, I remember early on uh, during when the the pandemic was just started, I remember seeing these videos that were posted online. I wonder if you saw them as well. It it really struck a chord with a lot of people. These videos showed um, first responders, especially hospital workers and nurses and doctors, going to their jobs, going to hospitals, and being met with crowds of people, cheering for them and playing music and like hitting pots and pans. Do you guys remember this? It was this really kind of sweet moment of of celebration, this brief moment of joy before these people had to go and and experience just draining and exhausting work. See, there was something within those crowds, something that I think we all realized was true, that those first responders deserved more than we could give them, but at the very least, they deserved our recognition. They deserved our encouragement, our, our gratitude. I think there's something within us that wants that same thing as well. There's something within, within us that, that longs to be recognized for the work that we are doing. For someone to say, I, I see the work that you are doing at your job. I, I see the work that you are doing to raise your family well. I, I see the work that you're doing as a student or wherever you are in life. I see what you're doing. I know that it's not always easy. This is what we see from Jesus in the first three verses of this letter. Let me read them again for you. Verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Here it is. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Here it is again. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So this letter, like the the six that will follow it, starts with its subject, the angel of the church. Now we talked about this a little bit last week, but, but we're not quite sure who Jesus is talking about here. Some have theorized that he's talking about the actual messengers of these letters, the ones that transported them from church to church. Others believe that maybe he was talking about the pastor or the elders of the church, the leaders, or maybe Jesus said exactly what he meant. And his angelic forces were watching over and protecting the church in Ephesus. We don't know, but what's most important is not the messenger, but the message itself and its author. We see this as well throughout the letters, but it always starts with a description of Jesus that comes from Revelation chapter 1, what we just looked at last week. We saw the meaning of, of this, that Jesus holds the, the, the uh, stars in his hands and he walks among the lampstands in chapter 1, verse 20 says, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, here's what it means. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So Jesus is saying, this is who I am. I am the one who is present among you, who is holding on to you in my hand. I am walking among my church. Now, pause here for just a minute. This is how Jesus begins this letter. To the church in the first century and to the church today, by reminding us of something that maybe you need to hear today as well. That even when we don't feel his presence, even when it doesn't seem like our prayers are being answered, even when we look around and we see people being persecuted all around the world just for holding and reading this book, even in our fear or our doubt or our questioning, Jesus is saying, Do not fear, I am present among you. I'm walking among you. My spirit is with you. My power is in you. My peace rests on you and the gates of hell will not prevail over you. He's saying there's nothing that can separate you and me from the love of God. Not death or life, not angels or demons, no height or depth or power. There's nothing that can separate us from God's love. And then in verse 3, he says these words, the, the very words that we all want to hear, the words that we gave to the first responders of the pandemic. I know what it is you're doing. I see what is going on. Not in a, I'm waiting for you to mess up type of way, but, but Jesus is saying, I am aware, I, your, your works are not going unnoticed. Keep going. Keep toiling. Keep doing the hard work of living a faithful life in a faithless world. Keep enduring for my name's sake when people mistreat you for your faith. Keep rooting out these false teachers. Remember the truth of the word that you have been taught. This is where knowing how the story of God connects overall makes this even richer. You see, back in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 and 29, the Apostle Paul is kind of giving his farewell address to the Ephesian leaders, and he says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And let me add verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So Jesus here is saying that you have listened to your teacher. You've listened to the warning of Paul. And not only do you have works, but you also have wisdom, keep going. I know what it is that you've done. This is the call that we have been given as well, to live a faithful life in a sometimes faithless world, to endure with patience, to stay true to the teachings and the revelation of Jesus as we have been given in his word. We see in verse 6 that Jesus references the Nicolaitans, which was a group that taught that because God offers grace and forgiveness, you might as well just do everything that you want to fit in with any cultural value that might be easy to do. But here Jesus is saying that it may not always be easy, but remember this, that every time you persevere, every act of faithfulness, every time you hold on to wisdom and truth, Jesus is cheering you on and giving you Strength, He knows the work that we are doing for him. That brings us to the uh, second section of this letter, which is the correction, the correction. I, I remember going on uh, vacations with my family as a kid, and, and more often than not, instead of flying, we would uh, all pile into the car and take a road trip. And for some of us, this is going to sound familiar. For uh, the kids and students among us, I'm going to sound a million years old, so just bear with me. Um, but I remember going on these trips, especially when I was younger. And in the glove compartment, my parents would have these massive foldable maps. Does anybody remember these maps? Um, this was before our phones were smart enough to direct us. And so, and so, my dad would be driving, and my mom would start unfolding this map, and it's just massive. It's like covering the whole windshield. Like he's like leaning out the window trying to drive. <laughs> And because the map would hopefully have the accurate highways and roads and tell us where, where we were supposed to go, but eventually something would happen, and we would either get on the wrong road or be on the right road and go in the wrong direction, and then everything just fell apart. And so now my parents are frustrated, and the map never folded back correctly, and my, my brother and I are in the back seat just being terrible and complaining, and we would get to our vacation, and we just wouldn't want to talk to each other for the whole time. It was great. Have I mentioned how excited I am to be a parent? Um, But eventually we would get to a place where we'd have to correct our course. And this idea of a a course correction is what we see here in this letter in verses 4 and 5. It says this, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent." So Jesus is telling this church that even though you guys are doing good things and there's a lot of good happening, there's something in which you have gotten off course. There's something that we need to set you back on the right path. Now imagine this for just a second. Imagine that you are part of this church in Ephesus, and all of a sudden this letter shows up, and it's from Jesus. And he's saying, you are doing so many good things. You have works, and you have wisdom, and you're hard workers, and all of this is great. And then he says, but I have this against you. You are driving in the wrong direction. You are on the wrong path, and you need to correct your course. I was thinking about this. I I wonder if Jesus would write a letter to the church today, to Chapel Street Church, to, to the church in America, to the church in the world in the 21st century, if there's anything that he would have against us. I'm sure there'd be something, but the better question maybe is, would we be willing to listen To what he has to say we see in verse 4 that these ephesians with all their works and wisdom had forgotten their first love love of god and love of neighbor the greatest commandment that we have even as they endured through difficult times even as they grew in their knowledge and their theology and they had all the right answers they had found themselves on the wrong path i heard a pastor say that this was a church that was good at hard work but not at heart work. We see a similar message in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, um, which is a chapter you may be familiar with. It's the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. But, but before all of those things, it says this If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. You see, it's possible and even common maybe for you and for me to have the right beliefs, to know the right things and even maybe even do the right things. But if we do not have love, we find ourselves on the right road going in the wrong direction. You've abandoned the love that you had. Now, now we don't know all the details of what was going on in the life of this church, but we have to ask this question. How does that happen? How does love get left behind? How does love become forgotten? Maybe you've experienced this, or maybe you know someone who has with a, a friendship or a family relationship or even in a marriage— where over time the excitement and the thrill of new love fades, where the honeymoon period ends and the love letters stop. And you realize love is not just a fuzzy and warm feeling that you have, but a series of daily decisions considering that person before yourself. Love goes against every part of our selfish nature. The same is true in our love of God and of neighbor. And Jesus is saying, you are no longer doing this well. You have missed the mark. Now, we don't know, but some have suggested that the church in Ephesus were being corrected for not loving those outside of the church, that that maybe after years of patiently enduring and, and rooting out these false teachers and working hard, they had started to become angry or bitter or complacent towards a world that did not always want them there. Maybe you felt that way too in a culture that often seems like it's drifting farther away from God where it's so much easier to be callous rather than caring, to be guarded rather than gracious, to be on defense rather than on mission. It's easy to forget that a theology that sees the world as my enemy and the sins of others as worse than my own is no theology at all. Others suggest that this was a church that had forgotten how to love each other well, that these were people who were so, uh, so, so um, focused on having the, the same beliefs about every issue, about having all the right things and, and doing all the right things and fitting into this box, that the church had become a place of legalism and judgment rather than unity and grace. That maybe they had strayed away from keeping the main thing the main thing. That maybe their church had become more like a clubhouse than an open house. Many of us have heard the story of someone whose experience with church is the exact same thing. Where they've experienced church to be a place of judgment or hypocrisy, and we we must remember Jesus' words in John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That the way that Jesus brings people to himself is often through the love of the church. Now, we don't know, but the truth is, no matter what was going on in this church in Ephesus, a lack of love always goes back to the same place. It always goes back to failing to remember the love that we have first been given. This is the message in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. It says that we love because he first loved us. This is why we love God and neighbor. This is why a church should be the most loving and welcoming place in a community. It's why our neighbors should be thankful that we live by them. Our cities glad we are a part of them because our love for others that pushes people towards the cross and, and towards selflessness and towards repentance and all of those things is rooted in the love that we first have been given. This is why Jesus says, if you don't figure this out, if you don't get this right, the lampstand will be taken away. In other words, your light and your witness as a church does not exist without love because it is the very reason you are part of the church in the first place. Every time we experience that pull towards selfishness or judgmental thinking or complacency is instead an opportunity for us to be light in the darkness because we know this truth, that Jesus had every right to view us in the same way. And instead went to the cross on our behalf. We love because he first loved us. And then finally, we see the third piece of this letter, which is the charge. The charge. Let me uh, read the last couple of verses in this letter, starting in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, in these few verses, Jesus gives three instructions and one promise. Here are the three instructions to the one who has abandoned or forgotten the love of God and neighbor. Number one, remember where you have fallen. Remember, in other words, how things used to be. Remember the first time that you really understood the implications of God's love for you. We have some friends who used to live in the Midwest and, and now uh, live right off the beach in Florida. And when they first moved there, they, were just, they just loved it. They were sending us pictures all the time when it was like zero degrees here and they're on the beach and it was great. Um, but they were just so excited to live where they used to vacation. They were just in awe of how big the, the waters were, and it was just something that they did any time they had the chance, they would go. They've been there for a while now, and they've, they've shared with us that, that they don't really feel the same way anymore, that over time, they've kind of just gotten used to it, that there's always people at the beach, that, that it's really not the same anymore. They've started to take it for granted and, and get used to it. And Jesus is saying, remember how life-changing my love really is. Do not take him for granted. Remember, number two, repent, meaning to move back or, or to turn around, to make a 180 turn from my sin and towards Christ. This is something I think that, that many of us get confused on, this idea of repentance. You see, the, the call to repent is not the same as a call to regret. Repentance and regret is not the same thing. If my wife asked me today to stop at the grocery store on my way home and I forget, she doesn't just want me to feel bad about it. She wants me to put a reminder in my phone so I don't forget the next time. See, this is a picture of repentance. It's not passive guilt. It is active change. Repentance is the act of going from living for myself to living for God, away from selfishness and towards a selfless life, from judgmentalism and and complacency to a life of love and care for others. We're all perfectly capable of feeling guilt or shame or regret on our own. Repentance is a spiritual action that requires God to work through us, recognizing that we have a need for his help, his power. This is what the Ephesians have been told to do. It's what we have been called to as well. So we repent We remember, and then lastly, number three, we redo the works that you did at first. First here being first in importance or significance. To redo your priorities, to remember what matters most, to return to a life that flows out of the love that you have been given. You see the progression here. It goes from this mental action of remembering to actively repenting to practically redoing. It's clear that for Jesus and for the Ephesians and for us, faith is never meant to just be an intellectual belief system, but something that we see in every part of our lives. And when we do these things, when we follow these instructions, then we are given a promise. Verse 7, To the one who conquers, the one who overcomes the obstacles that have been set in front of them, they will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. This is a reference both to the past and to the future. You might remember in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that God removed them from the garden, saying that you are not worthy to eat of the tree of life. In other words, that, that death has entered the world, one of the effects of sin. But the good news is this, that in Revelation 22, at the very end of the story, we see this tree once more. This tree that's been promised to those who conquer, to, to those who overcome. Look, at me with, look with me to Revelation chapter 22, uh, verse 2. It says, On either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is our promise. That we will end up in a paradise with God, in a city with eternal life and eternal healing. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at the rest of the letters from Jesus to these early churches. We're going to see the good and the bad, the warnings and the promises. But I love that this is where the first letter ends, with an encouragement to overcome, to conquer, to persevere. I mentioned that for me, letters are are something that I always have considered prized possessions, things to return to when I want to look back. To remember the time when I was dating my wife. To remember the words of my parents on my wedding day. To remember the encouragement of people who were early on in my ministry trying to affirm the calling of a young pastor. I think this is why Jesus had John write these words down. See, Jesus could have communicated to the church in Ephesus in a hundred different ways. He could have gone there himself. But he knew this to be true. That this church and every church that came after it would need to return to these words. That if we endure with patience, if we remember our first love, love of God, love of neighbor, then we have been given a promise that we will experience it to be true in eternity and paradise and life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you again and are uh, just so grateful for the promises in your word. God, we know that there is truth for us, even in letters written so long ago, and so we thank you for that. We thank you that you had us in mind in saying these words. God, we know for many of us that we need to return to this life of love, to remember the love that you have shown us, to love our neighbors well, to love each other well. God, we know that we need your strength for that, that we need to hold on to the promise that is ahead. So we trust you with that. We pray this in your name. Amen.